I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Kimberly Storin strongly believes that culture beats strategy every day of the week and that you can be the best strategic marketer in the world, but if you fail to build a sustainable culture, your strategy is irrelevant. It's one of the reasons why when she joined Zayo Group, she made a plan for her first 100 days during which she would be relentlessly focused on making sure that within her organization, the sales and marketing teams remain aligned in their vision. The biggest impact that we're going to have is to get that sales alignment right off the bat so that we can see a great account-based marketing approach. The biggest win that we can have in the next six to 12 months will be to implement account-based marketing. Kimberly has extensive experience in enterprise technology, having overseen brand refreshes and strategy implementation at some of the world's biggest technology companies, including Dell, AMD, and IBM. Now, as the CMO of Zayo Group, she's helping to implement similar strategies. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Kimberly explains why having a strong ABM strategy is integral to the growth of Zayo Group. And she dives into why every marketing department should devote resources to its own creative services department and how every new CMO can earn quick wins. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey, marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest, Kimberly. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Great to have you on the show. Excited to chat with you today and excited to chat about uh, Zayo and all the all the cool stuff you, you just recently joined. We're going to talk about why you did that uh, and much more. But first, how did you get started in marketing? Well, I started my career in PR and communications, but I gravitated towards the the hard PR, not that all PR is hard, but I really gravitated towards crisis and investor relations and more of the, the business side and started doing, doing some M&A as part of, of my PR career and ended up going into to client service after business school, really wanting to focus on crisis and M&A, um, which I did that for a few years and started to find my niche. I did a lot of brand work, a lot of employee experience, customer experience, marketing, and, and ended up picking my major, um, coming out of management consulting and, and moved into to marketing and communications roles at um, Dell, AMD, IBM from there. And so flash forward to today, you're a couple months into a new gig. Tell us about uh, Zayo. So Zayo is a $2 billion revenue communications, telecommunications or communications infrastructure company that's based in in Boulder, Colorado. We are a private company owned by private equity and and we're in the middle of a you know very large scale transformation effort here at the company. So we we provide fiber and communications infrastructure to some of the biggest names um, across the the country, right? From financial services on the East Coast to 
big cloud service providers on, on the West Coast and everywhere in between. It's amazing because while we have have grown and continued to grow over the years, it's not a you know a recognized brand name because we don't have you know residential telecommunication services. So folks like Verizon and AT&T, you know them as a consumer because they're they're in your home every day. But Zayo's real secret sauce is the fact that that we power the innovation, we fuel the innovation in all of these really large scale companies but we are an enterprise class provider. So it's a really unique space. And, and this transformation has been, been underway for a few months. And, and I joined about eight weeks ago to, to lead the marketing transformation journey. Yeah, and so why were you so excited to, to uh, join the company? For a couple of reasons. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, as I went through, I had spent most of my career in, in big kind of Fortune 500 brands some big transformations like AMD, I led the brand transformation back um, in 2013 there and companies like Dell and IBM. But I had, I had left big enterprise to go try my hand at startup. Did that for a while and I enjoyed the growth and kind of the intensity of, of the startup environment, but I missed the, the elements of transformation. And what I realized in this, you know, in my journey is that I, I really wanted to get back to to a place where I could lead a turnaround. And there's a lot of CMOs who are amazing kind of growth stage, series A, B, C, CMOs. And, and they are great at that work. They, they really are focused kind of on that demand generation and, and able to, to scale a marketing organization fast. And, and what I realized was my secret sauce is, is really understanding and being able to drive against a business strategy and transformation strategy. And so in looking at these new opportunities, I realized I really wanted to get back to my roots um, in turnaround and transformation. So that was kind of number one um, for, for why this you know, opportunity was so compelling. You know, the second piece that I, I really wanted to hone in on is, is finding a leadership team where it was a great cultural fit. And this team is world-class and it is you know, transformation leaders who have done it before. They know what they're doing and, and are super passionate about the industry, the company, and, and this, this big pivot that we're, we're undertaking. And so for me, it was just really the right fit in terms of, of my own skill set and getting back to the place that you know, really when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm excited to, to go tackle the day. And I missed that. And then secondly, you know, working with a, you know, a collaborative group of leaders who who really are, you know, dedicated and and motivated by that turnaround and transformation. And is this something that you kind of feel like that a lot of CMOs and marketing leaders are, are kind of going through right now? You know, we we talked a little bit before this about, you know, your peers and 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 my friends are kind of all looking at their current companies like, all right, I just I just kind of went through this this hurricane of a year and I want to make sure that I'm doing something that, you know, makes me happy. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think they're calling it the great resignation. And, and you are, you're really starting to see a lot of people making decisions. And I think it's top to bottom, you know, in terms of the organization, but marketing leaders in particular, I think probably like 50% of the folks that I've been talking to lately are either contemplating a transition in the process of making a transition or have just moved over, you know, somewhere new. You know, it's an emotional kind of life work decision that's happening. 
But I think there's also, you know, a lot of folks who had been thinking about making a transition, you know, when COVID hit, they kind of put that on the back burner because, you know, that's if you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You're, that's a little bit of the self-actualization when you you need to make sure people have food and water and blankets. And, and so I think, you know, now we're kind of starting to, to turn the curve and, you know, the vaccination rates are going up and, and people are really starting to step back and say, you know, is this, is this the right opportunity for me at this point in my career? The market is hot. So the opportunities are flowing and the conversations are happening. And so you really, I think we're really going to see, you know, over the next six to nine months, you know, just this continued migration to, to new opportunities, not only for the leaders, you know, which is, you know, great opportunities for us, but then there's also the challenge as leaders that we have to, to keep an eye on our organizations to, to ensure that, that we are doing that hard work of, career development and professional development with our teams, making sure that we've got those transparent lines of communications open because when the market is this hot, you know, that attrition can, can significantly go up and, and make it harder to, for us to hit our goals as well because we're starting to see, see that changeover you know, within the organization as well. So I think there's two things that we're really you know, trying to balance there, our own <laughs> career regression but then also how do we manage that amongst our team? Yeah, for sure. And obviously, you know, with remote work and going back to work and everybody trying to figure out like, where do they want to live? People, you know, moving and all that stuff is another challenge, especially for marketing teams, which, you know, a lot of the ways that we obviously, you know, I think generally speaking, most marketing teams could be remote if you needed to, but is that the best way to do it? I mean, I think how we make agile uppercase A or lowercase A, depending on how you look at it, right? But the, the agile framework and concept, how we make that work remote, I think is, is hard. And, and teams are figuring it out. They've had to figure it out over the last 12 months. But I think we're also starting to see where the winners and losers are in this remote world. And women are on the, sometimes on the short end of the stick um, because they are balancing the family responsibilities schooling, child rearing, all of that that they've got to manage at home, as well as, you know, putting their best foot forward. And so it's been, it's been hard from a remote standpoint to be able to balance all those things. It's been great from a remote standpoint because it's enabled us to balance all those things. Um, and then, you know, when you really look at early career professionals, that's a lot of who makes up marketing organizations. And those folks are also a little bit on the losing end in, in the remote workplace. They don't have the mentors sitting next to them. They're not being able to be a fly on the wall in a meeting um, as easily. They're not having water cooler conversations. You're not able to get people in a room and do training and development together. In a lot of ways, the folks that have just come out of college and who are starting their marketing career will find that they've been a little bit more challenged in terms of, of that professional development and being able to to build informal networks and informal mentorships that will help them progress their career. And so it's really up to us as leaders to figure out, you know, as our organizations make decisions around what the future of work looks like, you know, I think, I think we all believe it will be a hybrid approach and some organizations will be that remote first, but a lot of organizations are, are going back with a hybrid model. So how do we make sure that, that we don't leave those folks behind and, and how do we make sure that, that we're making up for lost time and putting the, the structure in place to make sure that we can keep 
you know, the, the young professionals skilled and focused and getting those informal mentorships and, and opportunities for visibility as well. You know, as, as you came into this, this new role, uh, talk to me about your first 100 days. How did you approach this? Like you said, normally you were kind of at a different size and stage of company. So this is, you know, a little new to you in that, in that way. The first 100 days, I mean, I really started just thinking through the basics. And I spent my first 30 days building the plan for a plan and went in with a really programmatic approach interviewing as many people in the organization as I could, asking them the same five questions to make sure that I was really starting to collect that institutional knowledge. I think you know one of the things that helped me from growing up in client service and management consulting is the ability to, to get in quickly and become a, not, I wouldn't say an expert in an industry, but understand enough to be dangerous. Right. When you're in management consulting, you can get a call on a, a Saturday and you have to pitch a client in, in an industry that you, you have no experience in. I remember being at my brother's wedding in Idaho and, and getting a call that said, you know, on Tuesday morning, you need to be in the middle of Tennessee and you need to be an expert in coal mining because you're pitching a $4 billion acquisition. And so the ability to ramp up fast is really embedded in that client service and management consulting mindset. And it's something that I've brought forward into to my career and it's helped me ramp quickly. But so I take that same approach of, of just diving in, talking to people. I, I have a curiosity journal that I keep next to me at all points. So every time a question comes up that is either new to me or I haven't heard before, I jot it down and and use that curiosity journal to help me get smarter on, on some of the technical aspects. And so that's how I really spent my first 30 days. Communications infrastructure is not an easy, is not an easy industry to just jump in. Um, you know, it's not a B2B, but it's also even farther down the stack, right? It is truly infrastructure. And so I had to tap into those, those leaders in the organization. But I also knew, you know, I had to have a bias for action. This is a, you know, a transformation situation. And, and marketing previously, you know, was not a consolidated and centralized function. So we really had to ramp up quickly. And so building that plan for a plan by day 30, I had alignment um, with the other leaders in the organization of what the next six months looks like and how we're going to build a full potential plan for next year. But what do the quick wins look like over the next six months? Because I need to build some credibility in the organization. And so that's really what I've spent my time doing is, you know, we've kicked off a revamp of the website. We have rebuilt the creative services team. We have, you know, started to build the foundations for, for product marketing, you know, discipline expertise. We've, we've started to, to rethink the NPS strategy. So all of these foundational elements were really core for me to be able to, to accelerate moving into next year. But those foundations are also areas where I can demonstrate to, to my peers the value that marketing can have in this organization because it hasn't been a you know, structured and consolidated centralized function previously. Yes. Yeah, so when you were kind of making your case for that stuff to the leadership team of like what resources you should get and why, like what was that conversation like? So I've looked at it as a two-pronged approach. Um, I came in at the middle of the year we're about to you know, kick off um, a pretty significant, what we're calling full potential planning for the broader organization. So I came in at just the right time to start those conversations. And, and basically what I've been doing is looking at 
you know, the budget I have, the team I have, and making some decisions within the envelope in which in the constraints that I currently have, um, because that will help me show some of those quick wins. Not having had a centralized function for marketing previously, you don't have a lot of historical data. So in a lot of ways, I need to spend these six months really building the baseline, um, understanding like what the metrics look like, how can we convert, where do we really support you know, across customer marketing, account-based marketing, more traditional demand gen, and, and starting to establish those baselines because they didn't exist. I can do that through pilot programs, through some you know, one to few kind of account-based marketing pilots um, at the same time that I'm going through the process of, of working with our board, working with our, our strategy team to really build out that full potential plan for marketing. And so I'm kind of doing that in conjunction because you know, not having the ability to show you know, the, the baseline metrics makes it difficult to, to really articulate and quantify the outcomes. That's why I've got to do those kind of in parallel. But um, really, you know, it's been great working with, you know, with the overall strategy team to, to ensure that the marketing strategy aligns and connects to, to the broader business strategy. And really being able to, to put myself into a position and being viewed as a strategic marketer versus a kind of traditional like MQL or die marketer. That's been a really big opportunity for me just to set the tone because it, it is about leads. We can deliver revenue for the business. Um, but even more importantly, you know, I can help drive customer experience and, and NPS. I can help you know, drive much more than just the, the tactics and tools of marketing. And, and that requires a seat at the table. And so this, this process has really enabled me to get that seat at the table for marketing and show all of the strategic impact that we can have, as well as the revenue outcomes. You know, there's that first kind of, kind of knee-jerk reaction of, of any marketer comes in. You're like, we got to work on the brand positioning. We got to work on the website. We got to mm -hmm. look at our tech stack, figure out what are we using? What are we not using? How do we kind of get to that sweet spot of, uh, you know, not making a million, you know, adjustments just to make them, but also just to like get our, mm -hmm. our house set a little bit so that we know that we're on message and we know that, you know, that the type of campaigns that we're going to start hanging off this thing you know, are going to, are going to, are going to fit within the larger kind of framework here. And we're actually going to be able to capture the value. Like, how did you kind of think about getting some quick wins for the team and, uh, and not working on just like those massive, huge projects or like kind of setting expectations of like, okay, you know, we're going to try to fix X, Y, or Z over the course of the next year, but we're not going to try to sprint and do it right away. Right. I mean, relentless prioritization is absolutely key. You know, each organization that, that I join I like to take a step back in that first 30 days to really understand the impact that marketing can have, at least in the industries where, where I like to play, which is traditionally more complex B2B infrastructure type of industries. And so really understanding where the organization is in its transformation, where the industry is in its transformation helps me come in with, with a view. So like, for example... Um, when I joined AMD, led a brand, a big brand research project right off the bat to figure out like what's the challenge and realized we had a consideration challenge. And so doing that work really led me down this, you know, very specific path of how to solve that problem. 
Um, here at Zayo, you know, where I realized in that first 30 days that I, where I could have the biggest impact is in customer experience. And, and so the first big program that I undertook was not the brand refresh, um, although we are doing a website rebuild, um, which is critical just from a functionality standpoint. But the first big project that I undertook was mapping the customer journey. You know, again, because there's so many touch points, this is a very, you know, high dependency on service delivery, on, you know, implementation, as well as high touch customer long sales cycles, very complex, you know, sales and customer journey that I knew that that had to be my quick win after that, thir- the first 30 days of listening to our customers and our partners and our sellers. Um, so that's why I think it's really important that having a rinse and repeat kind of one size fits all approach feels good because it makes you feel like you're having, you know, quick wins. But in reality, like every marketing leader, that's what they come in with. And so I think the value that we can bring as CMOs, as marketing leaders is to actually, you know, not have a one size fits all approach and to really spend those first 30 days understanding what that core you know, initial quick win outcome needs to be? And how does that spark all the things downstream? So that customer journey that we're working on right now with the insights from customers, partners, sales teams, customer success, et cetera, becomes the foundation that will enable me to sprint with, with all of the other work, right? It makes the website stronger. It makes our demand gen and our account-based marketing stronger. And it really took me kind of stepping back because you initially just want to come in and well, it worked at AMD and it worked at IBM. Like I've got to come in and just start with the brand. And what I realized was, you know, in this case, in this industry, that wasn't necessarily the approach that was going to to get me the outcomes that I desired and the time frame that I desired. You know, as as you're kind of going through kind of blocking and tackling sort of a, you know, those sort of things, are there any sort of like projects that you have that are kind of your oh, this could be really cool. Or maybe it's like campaigns or things like that that you're already thinking of that you've done at another company. Like, oh, I want, I know I want to do a in-person activation in Times Square or something like that. Or so, I don't <laughs> know, whatever it is. Some sort of cool thing that you know has worked in the past, some sort of play or something that you're like, I want to roll this out and I'm going to try to do it at some point here soon, but I just need to wait a little bit or, or, or something. Or like, yeah, maybe we should just do this soon. Actually, no, um, because... I mean, what I believe that we have to do right now is really step back and start from the basics. Again, the marketing team was not a centralized function, was not working all together. And we definitely were not as um, hand-in-hand with sales. So this, this structure, this function is, is working completely different than it has before. And where I think the biggest impact will be is implementing really great strategic account-based marketing. And it sounds so basic. But um, being in the account planning process with sales, leveraging the data that we have in the organization as well as as market data to pick the right accounts to go after, as a long sales cycle <laughs> kind of customer journey, a really big you know we're not a transactional model, although we have some elements of of transactional sales, but it's a complex sales cycle the biggest impact that we're going to have and that I'm really pushing hard on the the team is to get that sales alignment right off the bat so that we can we can we can see a you know great account based marketing approach which I do believe will have some you know out of home experience and some great 
you know, event experiential experiences and some some really high touch, um, you know, offline experiences as well as digital marketing. But at this point, I think that's going to be our biggest win. And when it comes to like relentless prioritization, because that's really the the moment that we're in right now in, in this transformation, the sexy stuff like the activations won't necessarily move my business. And, and so that's where I'm really focused on that alignment right now. You know, again, like sometimes it's so easy to get caught up and you've got all these ideas and they come to me, you know, I've got a running list of all the, like, what if, um, but in reality, the biggest win that we can have in the next six to 12 months will be to implement account-based marketing, which has never been, been done here before in a consistent and systematic programmatic way. Leveraging some of the kind of experiences from from previous stops at, at bigger companies, you know, that that stuff is is usually totally different, right? You have established teams, established marketing, you're trying to figure out um, how to launch either new products or, or different things like that. Have you been able to draw some, from some of those experiences with, you know, the other ways that you've done marketing at, at the IBMs and the AMDs and Dells and places like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there's such a similarity with the the audience and the customer that we are going after. It's very similar to to my customers when I was in IBM. And so really being able to to get into the head of the CIO and that buying committee um, has been a huge opportunity to leverage the learnings that I had in in IBM and even in Dell as well, very similar similar buying patterns, similar buying committees. You know, the the learnings that I had at IBM, especially in the the AI infrastructure space at IBM, really enabled me personally to to better understand the importance of of that buying committee. I've really had kind of a three-legged stool in terms of of the head of data science, the head of infrastructure, and then a line of business that were all rallying around this concept of AI. And now I'm in an industry where people are leveraging communications and network infrastructure to fuel those same things. So AI, edge, IoT, all of those emerging technologies. And so I've really been able to apply the the learnings that I've had at Dell and IBM in that space. Now just selling a different product and solution to folks who are still trying to solve the same problem, right? Organizations are digitally transforming. COVID has accelerated the digital transformation. You know, while it was a buzzword five years ago, it's, you know, an even more accelerated buzzword now um, with multi-cloud really being the, the choice of, of in- infrastructure deployments. Um, I think 90% of enterprises now have more than one cloud, more than one public cloud, but also they're in, you know, private cloud hybrid as well you know, we have added a lot more complexity. And so a lot of the the things that I learned through marketing at, at IBM, I've really been able to, to apply now to, to marketing at Zayo, adding even more complexity with how people are consuming data, how people are consuming content. Now, the fact that, you know, remote is coming back to the office, there's just, there's a need for bandwidth. So it's been a really interesting process to, to kind of see that, you know, how digital transformation continues to, to accelerate. And that, you know, while we've been talking about it forever, there's still no easy solution. And positioning Zayo and previously IBM as a partner of choice has been, you know, has been very similar across the organizations. 
I've worked with IBM for for many years. Uh, they've been a customer. Um, IBM is notoriously one of the most br- like brand protective uh, companies. Yes. Um, it is anything using the logo it requires a small blood sacrifice and and many other things. <laughs> so um, I'm curious, like that mindset of building something that is enduring, that is, you know, so protective of it. Is that helpful to you uh, in some ways? And and also, you know, potentially like that type of strict and rigidity can be harmful to other types of marketers. So I'm just curious, like, how do you deal with kind of like this, I want to be able to move fast and, and do things and iterate and and kind of the modern modern marketer of, of being able to split test and do all this sort of stuff versus, you know, a little bit more methodical uh, approach. I mean, I am a big believer that brand consistency equates to preference, but I also believe in, in you know, being an agile marketing organization as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while I don't believe in the 27 steps to being agile, I believe we really need to be to be agile in terms of how we work and think. And so to me, it is finding that balance. Um, and I do appreciate, I mean, the IBM logo, the eight bar logo is protected. But what the team has done a great job on is, you know, underneath that kind of master brand, been able to provide some guardrails and focus. And so similar to how I, I ran the brand transformation at AMD, there were certain elements of the brand that were protected. There's certain places where you can build brand guidelines that provide flexibility and, and agility. I think it also helps. And what helped me you know, in leading that brand transformation at AMD was building a really strong creative services team. So what I wanted to, to avoid was line of business marketing, product marketing, going external with with agencies or freelancers who did not understand the brand. Um, I knew that if I had agencies that had gone through brand training through the brand organization, I knew if we had our creative services team work on the, you know, the deliverables, that we would be fast, we'd be flexible, and we would still stay within those brand guidelines. So for me, what was really important in that brand transformation is building a flexible brand, but more importantly, being able to to help the rest of the marketing organization be fast and flexible as well. And that creative services team is world-class. The team built the website, designed the website from scratch, every element of it, designs all of the creative, led video production in-house, and outsource some great agency support where needed, but the creative services team is really you know, an agency within itself and, and continues to be. And I think having that, that strong creative services department built a lot of trust in the organization and, and enabled us to stay true to those elements of the brand that, that mattered versus giving every marketer you know, across a, a matrixed organization you know, the opportunity to, to not be consistent. And, and I do think that consistency with flexibility embedded is what drives preference for, for the brand overall. So you've just got to figure out, you know, based on the organization, do you have the, the resources and the dollars necessary to build a creative services team that can, can drive your brand? Or do you have to come up with a different model, whether it's, you know, training every single marketer um, who's working with separate agencies, which I personally don't prescribe to, but I know, you know, some, some marketing leaders are able to, to really make sure that that brand is enforced without being too prescriptive on, on every piece. 
But for me, I really think it's um, finding that balance and building a team in-house that can deliver on the, you know, the biggest priorities and build trust within the organization and, and not be seen as, you know, a bureaucrat, another bureaucratic organization within an organization and instead being seen as partners who, who deliver amazing creative work. Do you have any favorite campaigns that you've, uh, that you've run over the years? I had two favorites. Um, one at IBM, we had a generational product launch um, for a, a server and processor. And it's always hard when it comes to chips and, and infrastructure, like how to get really creative. And we actually went, we you know, looked at a lot of data. We ended up taking a very segmented approach, um, geographical approach based on kind of a propensity to buy model that we had built. You know, what our data told us is like, we needed to go where, where our customers were. And we needed to go focus on, you know, two segments out of that four segment um, kind of propensity to buy model that we built. And we also knew because our customers were a little bit of an older generation CIO at more traditional companies and within more traditional industries. So we took the show on the road and, and we, we basically built a movie from scratch where the chip, you know, the, the generational launch chip um, was the hero of this movie. And it was cheesy. I'm not going to lie. It was cheesy, but it was production level quality, um, actors, script, and it was hilarious. Just really, really well done by the, the brand and creative team and coming up with this concept. And we took it on the road to, I think it was eight cities like India, Singapore, Germany, UK, US, et cetera, and had a very VIP experience. Like this, we had some virtual reality, we had a big chip, and this audience just ate it up. It felt special, it felt different, it felt we were, you know, having a little fun with ourselves. And sometimes I think in marketing, we take ourselves a little too seriously. And the customers loved it. And it was, you know, one of the most successful launches. It was part of seven consecutive quarters of growth within our business and really continuing to drive that, you know, the growth with the customer base. But it really was based on data and a propensity to buy model to, to figure out how to go reach those customers and tell them a story, have a little fun, number one, but then also tell them a story that um, how we can help them today, but how we're going to help them tomorrow as they you know, continue to transform and, and digitally transform, embrace AI, et cetera. It was really unique, fun, and, and we really just brought it to them and spoke to them in a way that, that I hadn't seen done in a long time with those customers. So that was, that was a really fun one. Another campaign that, that I really loved was at AMD, we had done this big piece of brand research. We had realized we have this, this big consideration challenge ahead of us. And we also realized that people didn't really understand what we did. I mean, this is a chip. Now, you know, AMD is like a darling of the industry. Everyone knows what AMD does. But back in 2013, you know, share price was just over $2, not quite in the same, the same realm as it is now. And, and people didn't understand that we were inside every single gaming console. Like we came up with a campaign called If It Can Game. And, and it was basically helping people see that if your, if your graphics card, if your chips can be the preferred supplier for Xbox and PlayStation, Nintendo, et cetera, just imagine what else it can do um, inside your, your laptop. And so it was a very creative way 
to, to bring forth this notion of, of what AMD does and do basically have customer use cases without being quite so obvious. And so we really leaned into to leveraging these big wins as a way to share the other capabilities. And, and it was a highly performing campaign. It was something that resonated across the globe. So all of the, the, the consumer markets across the world were leveraging this campaign. And, and we were really able to see some, some significant revenue growth um, and the beginnings of that AMD transformation as we started to share the capabilities that, that were surprising to people. So it was, it was really a surprise and delight mentality. I love surprise and delight. My <laughs> my favorite. Uh, well, and you know, it's it's interesting that you talked about one of the things that you wanted to do as you came into your current role is is think about customer experience, think about customer success, and those sort of things. Which is, you know, I think that the modern the modern marketer is it's a necessity now, right? I mean, absolutely. You know, part of the challenge again with with the modern marketer is we've kind of become the catch all for everything. You know, and sometimes we get so caught up in the ing of marketing. Oh, we've got social media and we have product marketing and we've got campaigns and demand gen and we've got we have so much in our toolbox. And and I think what customer experience really allows us to do as CMOs is to step up outside of that, you know, the ing. Nobody else on the C-suite has an ing in their name, right? Nobody yeah. is producting or selling. There's no chief selling officer. And so we kind of get caught up in the tactics a lot, but the more that we can align to the idea of, of the customer journey, the customer experience, being really tied off with sales enables us to step outside of those tactics. Like we can leverage what's in our toolbox, but do we really understand the business and the customer and the market in a way that enables us to, to choose the right levers to pull and the right tools to, to pull out of that toolbox? And so I think that's why you're seeing CMOs gravitate towards being aligned and owning the customer experience because it enables us to, to more clearly articulate our value, which is to be the voice of and the voice to the market. And, and then all of these like execution elements and all these tactics, like we can pull those out in order to move the needle. But our real strategic vision is, is the market and the customer. And, and so that really enables us to start having a different level of conversation with our peers. We had JJ on here a long time ago, and she, yeah. she talked about the, the chief market officer. I, I love that. I mean, I think it's brilliant. I mean, and, and it's so obvious, right? It's, uh, it is not just enough to know what your customers are doing or your prospects are doing, but it's like, what are they going to do in the future? Mm -hmm. Like where, you know, kind of the classic skate where the puck is going thing. And I think that that's what being a market officer is now, right? It's like something like Slack, where you know what what the company was doing eight years ago from a market perspective versus what the market is now for Slack or or something like Zoom. Obviously, it's like it's it's totally different. Changed so quickly for what the, <laughs> right. the size of the market is, how the market behaves, and all that stuff. And like somebody's got to know that, and uh, and and who better than than the CMO? You know, ultimately, if you look at what's happened, you know, with the examples that you've shared, there's a certain element of predictiveness that we should and could have, right? We should be we should be thinking about the future. Um, we should be thinking about our own industry's digital transformation and you know what the market is going through. And then there's also the element of you know going back to surprise, maybe not so much delight in this case, but surprise. There's a global pandemic that accelerates everything that you may not have necessarily had on, on your trajectory, right? And understanding the market. 
And so that's really where the CMO's value becomes even more important is how quickly can you recognize that the market is shifting um, when you are caught by surprise and, and how quickly can you sit down you know, with your team, with sales, with product to figure out how to capitalize on an unexpected pivot. Because I think a lot of times what we do, you know, from a market perspective is we talk to analysts, we, you know, we talk to our customers, we try to learn, you know, where their mindset is and we build our roadmap, right? We build like our point of view of where the industry shift is happening. But in this case, right, the <laughs> COVID-19 just completely upended that journey. Um, whatever people had, you know, on, on their slide completely shifted. And so then the question becomes like, can you win in that environment? And that's where the agility of marketing and the leadership of the CMO can, can really drive the, the business forward when, when you're caught off guard and you have to pivot quickly and you have to be able to have that pulse of the market, not just looking out one, two, five years, but what do you do when something changes now? The companies that we saw that really succeeded in the last 12 to 15 months are the ones that had CMOs at the forefront that were bringing not just the market insights, but the, the real-time market situation into the organization and, and driving the, the collaboration and agility across the team. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Check them out. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round question. Kimberly, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what is your favorite type of dog? (laughs) Mutt. Come on. (laughs) Too easy. (laughs) What is the longest race you've ever completed? I have run 15 marathons. Wow. And one of them, I actually ran an extra five miles because my mom was also running and I ran back to run her in. You've run more marathons than I've run miles. Well, not like in my (laughs) life, but in one time. I think I've run like 13 or 11 or somewhere in there. Anyways, not a a fan of running long distances. Um, (laughs) It's too much too hard. Wow. 15 marathons. That's crazy. Um, if you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Mm, it's a good question. Um, I either would be a private detective, Ooh. Um, number one, solving capers. That's kind of my, my thing. Um, or I would run a nonprofit. Last question. What is your number one piece of advice for a first-time CMO? Be best friends with your sales leader. Kimberly. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, for our listeners who want to check it out, go to zeo.com to learn more. Uh, lots of cool stuff coming from them, as you just heard over the coming months. Kimberly, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I just would say thank you for, for having me. And really, my hope for the marketing discipline overall is that we continue to elevate and, and demand that seat at the table. So I hope everyone who's listening will come out of this conversation and and want to be leading that that conversation to the market and bringing the market back in into the boardroom. Awesome. Great having you on the show. Thanks again, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. 
The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.